Tonight we're going to be talking about the theme, the principles of Restoration Christianity, and we will be looking at several passages of Scripture. Before we do that, I do want to make mention of the fact that we're glad that you're here tonight. We're thankful for your presence, and to those of you that are visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and to be with us at every opportunity that you have. We always make the plea to those who may be looking for a church home. We want to encourage you to consider the work here. We think this is a great church, and we think that we believe that we have a lot to offer, and we need your help in spreading the gospel. And so we'd love to have you come and join hands with us. We want to do everything that we can to advance the cause of Christ. We want to do as much good as we can, while we can, where we can. We understand that one day, as Jesus said, the night comes when no man can work. Tonight, as we think about what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, he said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Many years ago, in the latter part of the 1700s and then into the 1800s, there were a number of individuals that arose who became disenchanted with the direction that they were moving, religiously speaking. And so there was a concerted effort on the part of many individuals to simply go back and do things biblically. In other words, their intent was to go back and to restore what we would call primitive New Testament Christianity. Sometimes we talk about doing Bible things in Bible ways and calling Bible names, or rather Bible things by Bible names, and really that's our intent. And so tonight we're going to be talking about some of the principles of the restoration movement. I do want to make mention of the fact that it's my understanding, and I may be wrong, Jared, correct me, are the young men going to be conducting the service, the Sunday night service in the next couple of weeks or so? Okay, they might. Okay, I was thinking they might, but anyway, just wanted to alert you to that fact because we always have a number of our young men involved, and they do a great job, and we're proud of all of our young men and women and young ladies, and we want to encourage everyone to be supportive of our young folks. We have a great group of young folks. Tonight, as we think about the principles of Restoration Christianity. I want to begin by talking about the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. You remember Jesus in the shadow of the cross prayed that those who would believe on him through the apostles' words would be one. That they would be one as he and the Father are one. Our goal is to unite, to be united. And the only way that we, religiously speaking, can ever be united is to go back to the gospel, to go back to the Word of God, and to literally strive to the best of our ability to do things as they did in the first century. There are some of you here tonight that have probably had the opportunity 
to take part in maybe the restoration of an automobile. I know Brother James Brewer for many, many years liked to restore Ford Mustangs. Raymond Montgomery is a car buff. And he runs with a lot of people that are interested in restoring old cars. Sometimes people will take old automobiles and they will restore them to their original state. In restoring those automobiles to their original state, there can be no modifications. We might like to modify an old car, but if that automobile is going to be as it once was, as it was when it came off the showroom floor, every part has to be original. And so when we talk about New Testament Christianity, we're talking about going back 2,000 years and trying to be the church of Jerusalem. In other words, we're trying to be the church, the people that we read about in the New Testament. So having said that, let me just cite for you some principles that I believe underscore Restoration Christianity. First of all, there is the principle of searching the Scriptures. It ought to be the endeavor of every person to go back and to simply search the Scriptures. When I think about what we have to offer the world and what we have to offer people that are maybe disenchanted, spiritually speaking, what we have to offer is let's go back to Scripture. Let's strive to follow the words of Peter when he said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. You recall Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 39, said on one occasion, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. He said, These are they which testify of me. And so, when we talk about searching the Scriptures, really that's what we're emphasizing. An honest evaluation of the Word of God. To search, to endeavor, to try to be what the early church was, to live as they lived, to do as they do, to practice as they practiced. And then I think about the Bereans spoken of by Luke in Acts chapter 17. The Bible says that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind. And then the Bible says they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. The two things that stand out to me about what Luke records there, here were people that had an honest and open heart and an open Bible. And that's the appeal that we have today to people, to simply take God's word and let's go by it. To the best of our ability, let's try to follow what the Bible teaches. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 17, the Bereans were checking out the Apostle Paul as well as Silas, and Paul was an inspired apostle. And I think the precedence there is that whatever we hear, whatever we read, we ought to make sure that it coincides with God's Word. If what we read and study harmonizes with what we hear, then we accept it. 
If what we read and study does not harmonize, then we reject it. That's a biblical principle. Now Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at verse 21, prove all things. In other words, you put things to the test. He said, hold fast that which is good. That would imply that there are some things that are not good. And so the goal that we have is to put to the test whatever we hear, whatever we read in light of God's word. I want to be a New Testament Christian. I don't want to be anything less than they were in the first century. I don't want to be anything more than they were. I want to simply be a child of God. The Bible says that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, according to Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And so that's our goal, to simply be a Christian, to be a member of the body of Christ, to be a part of the kingdom of God that we can read about in the scriptures. You recall Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 2 talked about the church of the kingdom. And he foretold of the church of the kingdom as an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. And he said in that context that the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. So when we go back to Jerusalem, to as some would say, the old Jerusalem gospel, we're going back and we're trying to find out, okay, what did they do? And whatever they did, we want to follow in their footsteps. It was said of the early church in Acts chapter 2 at verse 42, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. And so we're going back to apostolic doctrine. We're trying to follow in the footsteps of that which has been recorded in the New Testament. Because after all, that's the law under which we live. It's called the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. James identifies it as the perfect law of liberty in James 1.25. And James would say that we are to so live and do as those that will be judged by the law of liberty in James 2.12. So we're mindful of the fact that God will one day judge us. And that's why it's so important that we search the scriptures and that we make sure that our lives are compatible with what the will of God says. You know, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, he said, the same shall judge him in the last day in John 12, 48. Paul said that we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. We're interested in truth. And there are a lot of folks in our world today that are interested in divine truth. You remember Pontius Pilate asked the question in the presence of Jesus, what is truth? Jesus answered that question in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. He said, your word is truth. So God's word is the standard. It is the litmus test. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus talks about how the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. And the word will bring forth fruit if it falls on honest and good hearts. And so as we search, as we intently search the scriptures, we seek to discover the truths of Almighty God and then put them into practice. Now, 
As we think about this principle of seeking, searching, I want to call attention to a second, I think, very important principle. It has to do with the principle of discovery in the Scriptures. Let me just call attention to an Old Testament passage. Go back and look with me, if you would, at 2 Kings chapter 22. In this context, a young man by the name of Josiah comes to the throne at the age of eight. In his 18th year as king, he would then be 26 years of age, instructions were given to Hilkiah the high priest. And really the intent was to make repairs to the temple of God. And so, Hilkiah the high priest, along with Shaphan the scribe, go. And here's what the text says. Drop down if you would and look at verse 8 because really this is, I think, the crux or thrust of what we want to focus on for just a moment. When they went into the temple, the Bible says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law. Now that's important because having found the book of the law, that is the word of God, Josiah began setting into motion what we would call reforms. He sought to go back after having discovered the word of God. The intent was to go back and to put into practice God's holy word. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. I want to share with you a letter that was written, and I mentioned a moment ago that in the latter part of the 17th century, or really, I guess the latter part of the 1700s, the 18th century, there were a group of individuals that began a quest to go back to the Bible. And really what they wanted to do was to discard any and everything that could not be found in Scripture and to simply employ God's holy word as a standard. And so in the late 1700s and then into the 1800s, there were lots of people in the Northeast and even in Kentucky and other places that began diligently seeking and searching out the Scriptures and there was a fellow by the name of William Amend. And he was a Presbyterian elder. And he had been reading and studying the scriptures. And so several years after his conversion, or after obeying the gospel, Walter Scott received a letter from him. And Mr. Amend talks about the events that led to his being baptized into Christ. And I want you to just listen to this because I think really it helps to put into perspective the whole idea of searching the scriptures and then discovering and saying, you know what, this is what God says. This is what I want to do. So here's what he says in writing to Walter Scott. He said, now my brother, I will answer your question." I was baptized on the 18th of November, 1827, and I will relate to you the circumstances which occurred a few days before that date. 
He said, he said, I had read the second chapter of Acts when I expressed myself to my wife as follows. And here's what he said. Oh, this is the gospel. This is the thing we wish. The remission of our sins. Oh, that I could hear the gospel in those same words as Peter preached. He said, I hope I shall someday hear the same words as Peter preached it. He said, I shall, he said, I hope I shall someday hear. And the first man I meet who will preach the gospel thus, with him I will go. And then he said, so my brother, on the day you saw me come into the meeting house, my heart was open to receive the word of God. And when you cried, the scripture shall no longer be a sealed book. God means what he says. Is there any man present who will take God at his word and be baptized for the remission of his sins? He said, at that moment, my feelings were such that I could have cried out, glory to God, I have found the man whom I have long sought for. So I entered the kingdom when I readily laid hold of the hope set before me. And then he signed off, William, amen. The point is simply this. Here was a guy that went back and just read the Bible. And in his honest and noble way, came to the conclusion that, you know what? What Peter said was good enough. It's good enough for me. Now, we might ask the question, why do they have to wait to hear somebody preach that? I can't really answer that. I mean, he had, he had the truth. He could have sought somebody out to baptize him. But nonetheless, he came in contact with William Scott. He heard William Scott preaching as Peter did. And his conclusion was, that's what I want to do. And really, when we talk about discovering what the scriptures have to say and the principles of restoration Christianity, the truth of the matter is we want to go back and restore, as I mentioned a moment ago, primitive New Testament Christianity. When you go back and you look at history, history reveals that there was a falling away. As a matter of fact, Paul talked about that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, that men would depart from the faith. Initially, men began to corrupt the organization of the church. And then that led to further corruptions. Well, how do we overcome the corruptions? How do we overcome the, the division. The only way, go back to the Bible. I mean, think about it for a minute. In the, in the first century, let me just illustrate it like this, by way of organization. In the first century, you had Christ as the universal head of the church, didn't you? So you had one head and one body. The Bible says there's one body in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. 
The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church in Colossians 1.18. And then locally, the Bible talks about men who meet the criterion set forth. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. They meet certain qualifications and they serve as elders. In the New Testament, the local church is governed by a plurality of men who wear the title of pastor, elder, bishop, or overseer. Those terms in the New Testament are synonymous. Now, many, many years ago, what happened was, rather than having a group of men serve as elders over a local congregation, they decided... Let's just make one man a bishop over several churches. Well, you can do that, but you can't do it according to the pattern. Because you see in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, they ordained elders in every church. Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, to ordain elders or to set in order elders in every city, in every church. And then... You have men who serve as deacons, and they meet the criterion set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. So you have men who are elders, then you have men who are deacons, you have members, you have an evangelist, a minister, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Locally speaking, that's the organizational structure of the church. Some years ago, there was a there was a large denomination here in town. And the man who at that time was functioning as the quote-unquote pastor began to push for elders. He saw the need, based on what the Bible says, to have elders in the church. In his push for elders, he came in contact with a lot of resistance. And so the commercial appeal, they interviewed the former preacher. And this preacher said, that goes against everything, that is to ordain elders, that goes against everything that we believe in practice. Now here's my response to that. It does go against everything that you believe in practice. But now if we're talking about Scripture. That's a different thing. You see, if we want to practice New Testament Christianity, we can't have a one-man pastoral system. Why is that? Because it's not biblical. Because I don't have precedence for that in Scripture. But now, if we want to have a plurality of men who meet the criterion of 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, then you know what? We can have elders. If we have men that meet the qualifications to serve as a deacon as outlined by Paul, then we can have deacons. But we have to go back and follow the principles of New Testament Christianity. So we talk about discovering the truth and then there is the implementation, the practice of truth. Our goal is to practice New Testament Christianity, not in a condescending, arrogant, haughty way. What we're trying to do is to appeal people. Hey, let's, let's go back to the Bible. Let's just be New Testament Christians. Look, for example, we, we talk about 
We talk about Hilkiah the priest, the high priest, exclaiming, I have found the book of the law. Now I want you to notice with me, if you would, as we think about the principle of practicing the scriptures, look at chapter 23 of 2 Kings. And listen, if you would, to what the record says. Then the king, that is Josiah, sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, and read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Now look at verse 3. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took their stand for the covenant. Here's what happened. They found the book of the law and Josiah takes the lead. And the intent is, let's go back and let's simply Let's simply honor the covenant that God has made with us. Let's go back and honor the word of God. Now I want to ask you a question. How could anyone have a problem with that? Now, we talk about today. And we talk about the implications of restoration Christianity. When I talk about being a New Testament Christian, I want to do what they did if I do what they did, then I become what they were in the first century. Would you agree with that? When Peter said on Pentecost Day to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. When they did that, what did God do? He forgave them of sin, didn't he? When they did that, what else did God do? He put them in the church, the body of Christ, Acts 2.47. From that time forward, every person who complies or has complied with, as we would say, the blood-sealed covenant of the Son of God. Every person enjoys the same privileges and rights. They're part of the kingdom. They enjoy all spiritual blessings in Christ. Now that's just one example. In the first century, those who followed the Lord they were disciples, according to Acts 5.14. They were believers. They were followers of the way. They were brethren. They were Christians. Nothing more and nothing less. Their worship of Almighty God, very simple. Worship God in spirit, that is with the right attitude, and truth by his authority. In going back and trying to worship as they did in the first century, we give of our means every first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. We partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week because that's what they did in the first century, Acts 20, verse 7. We preach the word as they did. And you can read Acts chapter 20, verse 7. You can read 2 Timothy chapter 4. We want to employ the practices of the early church. We sing as they sang. 
We don't sing with the addition of an instrument or anything like that because Jesus said to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. The word melody in the Greek is solo. It means to pluck or to play. And the instrument that Paul is talking about plucking or playing is the human heart. And then we pray. Very simple New Testament Christianity. Again, we talk about the principles of restoration Christianity. This is the cause that we plead. This is what we're asking people to do. Now I want you to think about this for just a minute. Think about, think about the religious world today and how fragmented and divided we are, religiously speaking. There are literally thousands upon thousands of different religious organizations. Would you say that, would you say that the, the division that exists in our world today is in harmony with the Lord's will based on John 17 or is a contradiction to his will in prayer? It's a contradiction. It's not according to his will. So here's the question. How then can we go back and be one? Is it possible for us to have unity? The only way that we can have unity is to go back to the Bible. Think about it this way. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth? And really he chided them because there was division among them. And so he pleaded with them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that there be no divisions among you. But he said that you all speak the same thing. Now, in closing, let me just say this. If we were to have a creed book, and that creed book had more than what the Bible says, then we wouldn't need it, would we? Because it has too much. If we were to have a creed book, and it has less than what Scripture has, we wouldn't need it either, would we? And the reason is because it would have too little. If we had a creed book or a book that was penned by men that had exactly what the Bible has, we wouldn't need that either, would we? Why? Because we have the Bible. Now, Paul said that we all speak the same thing. What I would call upon people, religiously speaking, to do is to unite under the banner of truth. In other words, let's just go back to the Bible. Let, let's go back to the Bible and try to do things biblically speaking. If we have honest and good hearts, Jesus said that in having honest and good Good hearts will bring forth fruit to his kingdom. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they're searching for truth. They're searching for something. What we want to do is point people in the direction of truth. Because truth and truth alone will save. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When I think, when I think about being a member of the church... I don't want to be a member of a church that any one man started. I don't, want to be a, I don't want to be a part of any movement that has been formed or formulated by a man or a group of men. I want to be a member of the church that I can read about in the New Testament. I want to be a member of the church that Jesus promised to build in Matthew 16, 18.
The church that Jesus founded in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day in about A.D. 32 or 33. The church that he is the foundation of, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. I want to do what they did to become a member of that church. And I believe I've done that. I put my faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. I repented of my sins as Peter instructed on Pentecost Day. I confessed the name of Christ before other people. And I was buried with him in a watery grave of baptism many years ago. Rising to walk in newness of life. That's what the Bible says we're to do. Now when we do that, when I did that, you know what? God put me in his church. And the words of Jesus are still true. Be faithful until death. The promise being the crown of life. We talk about simple New Testament Christianity. That's it. That's what we're appealing to people. Let's just go back and be the church of the Bible. Let's just try to the best of our ability to humbly walk in his ways and according to his truth. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the privilege and the power of prayer. We're thankful for your word. And Father, we understand that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway. And we pray that we would humbly strive to the best of our ability to walk according to your word. Forgive us when we fail. Help us to be the church of the New Testament. Help us, Father, to reach out to people all around us and share the good news of the gospel. Help us, Holy Father, to exalt the name of Christ and to wear the name Christian with honor and dignity and humility. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Doing what they did 2,000 years ago. Repenting of your sins and being baptized into Christ. And then being faithful until death. And the promise being the crown of life, James 1, verse 12. Would you come as we stand and sing?